You know, one of the things that I love about just the, the biblical text itself. So we read together from John's gospel. But, you know, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, I love the simplicity and, and the straightforward nature of the resurrection accounts. It's just, to me, it just reads like it really happened. Now, there are some, perhaps even many, who uh, would deny that. There are some that would say, oh, no, no, these, these stories are fabricated. Uh, they are fables that were made up to keep the myth of Jesus alive. But I, I want to give you, in just a few moments here, I want to give you five reasons why that idea should be rejected. And the first is this. The story would have never been told like this if it were not true. That, that's the thing. It just, just seems true. And it never would have been told like this if it were not true. It's far too honest to be made up. You see, if it was a made-up story, they never would have talked about their own doubts. They're not going to tell that part of the story. If it was made up, they'd say, oh, yeah, we knew all the time. We just were waiting for that moment when Jesus rose from the dead. But no, they express their doubts all the way through. They express their fear. It tells about the, the fear that they had. They were afraid that they themselves might be arrested. And basically the story just speaks of their ignorance, which again is something that if it were made up, they would have kept that veiled. But there's another aspect to this story that is really amazing if you understand the culture. And that aspect is that it was women who were the first witnesses to the resurrection. You see, in the ancient world and in the Jewish world, a woman's testimony was worthless. A woman could not testify. And so if you wanted to, you know, put forth a, a fable, the last thing you would ever do is have women as your primary initial witnesses. But that's what we have here in the biblical text. And so the story would have never been told like this if it were not true. Secondly... No one would have made up this story because it's clear that no one expected this to be the outcome of those events that had transpired on the Friday before. No one, the apostles themselves, no one expected a resurrection. Now, the Jews, of course, believed in a resurrection, but in the Jewish understanding, a resurrection was um, an, an event that would take place at the end of time when all of God's people would be resurrected. 
But, but the idea that a single individual at some point in history would rise up from the dead, that was not even in anybody's thinking process in the first century. The apostles didn't think it, the Jewish community didn't think it, and, and uh, of course the, the pagan world did not think that at all. So this is something that is so foreign that it, it couldn't have been made up. And of course, it was a single individual who resurrected bodily from the dead and he said, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Thirdly, the dejected followers of Jesus would have gone back home and back to their lives as they were before. Now, they, they had already uh, thought to do that. But instead, they left their families, their homes, their businesses, and they risked their lives. And, and ultimately, many of them gave their lives for this message. Now, if the message were not true, none of that makes any sense. Because if it were not true, they would know it wasn't true. And to risk or to give up those things, that would be just unthinkable, really. You know, there's an interesting, more recent kind of a story that illustrates the point that if these men had made up this story, they never would have been able, under the, the pressures, they never would have been able to contain the deception. And the story is told by uh, a man named Chuck Colson. Many of you would remember Chuck Colson's name. Uh, he became well-known as a, uh, a minister of the gospel of sorts. He began what uh, we know today as prison fellowship, uh, going in and, and bringing the gospel into prisons. And he did that as a result of having been imprisoned himself. But he was, prior to that, he was uh, one of the most powerful men in the country. He was part of the Nixon administration. And he was one of the, the players in the Watergate scandal and one who went to prison for his involvement in that. Uh, he became a Christian through the process. But Charles Colson said this. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. Some were executed. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. And then he said this, Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles kept alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. I agree with Charles Colson. You see, it, it just, again, it, it doesn't make any sense. But yet, many would, would retreat into these kinds of ideas. Oh, you know, they, they made it up. It, it was fabricated and so forth. 
Fourthly, if this was not true, there would be no explanation, no reasonable explanation for the millions upon millions of lives that have been transformed by the gospel down through the ages. Now, this is a fact that is undeniable. You know, one of the most astounding things to me about the power of the gospel, and we all know the power of the gospel to take a, an evil person and to change them, to transform them, to turn their lives around. We, we've, we've heard those stories many, many times, and they're wonderful stories. They're amazing. They're powerful. I, I love those stories. But, you know, to me, what's even more astounding than that is that the gospel can take a good person, a upright person, an outstanding citizen, a self-righteous person, and convince them of their own sinfulness and bring them to cry out for God's mercy. That, to me, is an even greater miracle to break through the pride of self-righteousness, but the gospel does it. It does it all the time. And, and if there was no risen Christ behind this gospel, none of that really makes any sense, it seems to me. And then fifthly and finally, there would be absolutely no reason for us to be here today. You know, someone said it recently, and I believe it's absolutely true. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, we would have never known anything about him. We would have never heard of him. He would have just been a, a, a blip on the screen of history. And we today, 2,000 years later, we would know zero about this man, Jesus of Nazareth, had he not risen from the dead. But here we are today. No one has forced any of us to be here. Uh, no one has bribed you to say that this is true. Uh, no one would harm you if you chose to walk away. You stay, you keep on trusting. Why do you do that? You do that because the resurrection is true. Because Jesus is alive. And, uh, of course, there, there's, I, I like to always emphasize, you know, when we're talking about something like the resurrection, there's, there's all of these objective things that we can point to. And those objective things support the resurrection. But there is also that, that massive subjective aspect to it that is, it's personal to each one of us. So at the end, when somebody says, well, how do you know that Jesus really rose from the dead? I, I might go through a list of objective reasons why I believe it. But, but finally, I'm going to come down to, well, I believe it because I've met him. I believe it because I've experienced him. I know it's true because I know the one who rose from the dead. And that is really what the, the gospel is about at the end of the day. It is about God and us, God and people, God and, 
and human beings being reconciled, brought back into a relationship. And so, just like the people that we read about in the text, just like Mary who said, oh, Rabboni, and, and just like Peter and John who went to the tomb and there uh, initially John looks in and he's contemplative and, and he's thinking and Peter rushes in and he sees the, the cl- linen cloth that, that was wrapped around the body of Jesus and, and suddenly John says that he saw and he believed, meaning John at that moment he understood what had happened. And just like them, so we today, we have that same testimony that we can give. I saw, I believe, I know it's true. And here's a question as we close this morning. I just want to pose to perhaps some here today. Have you met him? Have you met this risen savior? Now you might say, well, you know, I don't really believe this stuff. Um, I just came here this morning because I was invited. But I'm not interested in religion. I hear that often. I'm not interested in religion. Well, listen, Jesus isn't asking anyone to join a religion. He's inviting us. He's inviting you into a personal, life-altering relationship with him, the one who made you, the one who loves you, and the one who has an eternal plan and purpose for your life. That's what is being offered. That's what the resurrection is about. As Jesus would would say to them after he rose from the dead, it wasn't like, okay, it was nice being with you. Uh, I'm going to go now and uh, so long. No, this was the beginning of of a a whole new relationship that would go on forever and ever. Some might say, well, you know, life is too busy, and and I don't have time for this kind of thing. Oh, how many people think that there are more important things to do than waste your time on this sort of stuff? Well, C.S. Lewis put it, I think, the best. He said, Christianity, if false, is of zero importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. If Christianity is true, it is of infinite importance. Now, if it's not true, we can just dismiss it and we'd all have to ask ourselves, what are we doing here in the first place? But if it is true, it is of infinite importance. If Jesus really rose from the dead, then there's nothing in the world more important, nothing in the world more important than finding out the implications of that resurrection for you. Nothing more important. And so I want to testify today that Christ is risen. 
And I want to say that because there's plenty of great evidence to support it. But I want to say it also because I met him. I know him. He did for me what he's done for millions of others. And I know that many of you, most of you, you would say the same thing. I know Christ is alive. I've met him. And so if you haven't met him and you'd like to meet him, we would love to introduce you to him. And at the end of the service, we have a little prayer uh, tent over here and we'd be happy to talk with you, to pray with you, to introduce you to the living Christ and to help you on your uh, new adventurous walk with him. So Lord, thank you that you did indeed rise. Thank you, Lord, that these straightforward accounts that we have here in the pages of the New Testament, Lord, that they're, they're so honest. They, they just, they smack of the truth. And Lord, may we who have embraced these truths, may we be uh, filled with joy afresh this morning. And Lord, may those that have yet to embrace them, may they come to meet you today, the living Savior who loved us and gave yourself for us that you might cleanse us from all sin and make us your sons and daughters and give us your kingdom to inherit forever. Oh, how we thank you for that. Thank you, Lord. Amen.